everyone, it's Tom Crowds, and one of the best things about doing this business, working with different real estate investors all over Southern Ontario, is you just stumble into the best people. And this one stumbled into us. Peter Kafka is the vice president of leasing at Strath Allen. And I had never heard of Strath Allen, but apparently these guys know their shit. Am I allowed to say shit? I'm not sure. I hope there's no kids in the car. Anyway, um, yeah, what these guys do is they handle all the leasing for all the malls that you see as we drive along the highways and stuff. So I'm talking everything from like the big malls, like a Yorkdale Mall, Sherway Gardens, Oakville Place, Maple View and Burlington, that kind of stuff, to the smaller strip malls. And they do some stuff that is really interesting. They actually take mismanaged malls and basically flip them. So instead of flipping like a house like you'd see on HGTV, they're flipping malls. They will buy these mismanaged malls, get them up to par, in, increase their value, and then sell them off to different pension companies. And this to, to me is absolutely fascinating. We've never played in this part of real estate before. So Peter was nice enough to come on the podcast and break out how this all works. So that's what we we talk about. Uh, great guy. We get into his own real estate investing and his own journey and how he got into Canada. It's just another story of why Canada is so great because some of the best people from all around the world end up in Toronto and in Canada and in Toronto. So wait to hear his story. So uh, Peter's a great guy. Love chatting with him. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. And listen, if you are listening to this, we do talk about a little bit about the destruction of the middle class and what our kids are going to do and how people are going to be able to afford properties because the population growth trends in this area are astonishing. And we actually put together a report that maps Stats Canada data, income data against Toronto real estate prices. And when you see these things mapped against each other, it is jaw dropping. Like the chart doesn't even make sense. And I call this the destruction of the middle class, how we've all been sold the idea that you go to school, you get a good job and you get a good income and that's how you get ahead. Well, it's kind of a load of crap because if you don't have some assets in your life, you are not getting ahead. You're barely keeping up. And we extrapolated some of this data forward. So when you see it going forward from 2019 to 2055, if your jaw didn't drop when you first saw the data, it definitely drops when you see this. So that's just a projection what we did, but it's to me, it's fascinating information. You got to take a look at it if you haven't already. You can get that at nomoremiddle.com. That's www.nomoremiddle.com. So you can get a copy of that report right there. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Peter Kafka. Peter, how do I pronounce your last name? Kafka is good. Kafka. Peter yes. Kafka. And you told me it's Czech last name? Yes, it is Czech. From the Czech Republic. Bounce. Not a Czech. Slovakian last name. No. A no. Czech last name. I want to be very clear. It's Bounce. not like when I was a kid, when it was Czechoslovakia. There's yeah. the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic. Slovak Republic. So, Slovak right. Republic. All right. So you got to tell me, how does somebody like yourself get in? Because you have an interesting story. Somehow you have a PhD. What is your PhD in? Um... Pilot high and deep. That's yeah, <laughs> pilot high and deep. No, that's because every time I talk about this PhD, so technically you're a doctor. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, my dad told me if somebody asks, is there a doctor in the house? Never raise your hand. You'll end up in jail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or if you're on the airplane, is there a doctor in the house? We need that's someone right. to help. But you have a PhD in, is it uh, what was some immigration studies? Yeah. or what, No, what is it exactly? Yes, it's in, in political science, immigration policies. Yeah. Political science and immigration policies. Mm -hmm. Okay, that sounds it sounds very deep. It does. Yes. You're taking a side. Don't worry. We're not gonna. We're not gonna beat you up on this podcast here. You're good to go. Bring the mic nice and close okay. to you. There we go. So listen, Peter's going to break down for us because many investors who are listening to this have never heard of buying malls, plazas, strip malls, putting pads on these strip malls to increase the value. And by the way, there's a mall near where I live in Oakville, mm -hmm. kind of eighth line and upper middle area in Oakville. Mm -hmm. That that strip mall must be the highest average rent of any strip mall. I don't care because they just slipped it. There's hardly any parking to begin with in there. And they just 
plop down a shopper's drug mart, like right in the middle of the parking that's left over there. And that shopper's drug mart, I know is going to do a ton of business. And I know how much rent those guys pay in there. Mm -hmm. They don't tell me specifically the dollar per square foot, but they all complain. Um, And it's packed. So Mm -hmm. whoever's owning that particular mall in Oakville, I know they are just raking it in. So, um, but we're going to get to that in a second. What I wanted to talk to you about first is how, when did, what age did you come to Canada? Walk us through the journey. How do you come into this country? How do you go to university and get this PhD? Uh, that's, that's a long story, but, uh, I'll abbreviate it. Uh, the first, uh, my first exposure to Canada was actually through my great uncle who came to Canada as a, as an immigrant in 1948, uh, as a, escaping the communist putsch, he was a Royal Air Force pilot, and we all know what happened to to those fighting for the Allies. So he he left for Canada, and and we haven't really had any contact or much contact with him for 50 years. And then when um, when the uh, Cold War was uh, starting to cool off, we started connecting with him, and and he eventually he visited in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia back then, and. And then in 1993, we visited him for, for the summer here. But uh, my real firsthand involvement with Canada was when I was writing my dissertation on Canadian federalism and IEY, you know, countries like Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and, and Rus- uh, Russian Federation of Soviet Union back then, why they split and while Canada is still together. So that was, that was uh, kind of what motivated me to come to Canada because my supervisor was a... Canadian hippie who came to Czechoslovakia in 1968, and then he became. So you were writing this over there, over there, under a Canadian, like a Canadian professor of. That's right, a fantastic guy, and he he was very into firsthand experience, and he said, uh, Peter, if you want to write about Canada, you have to go there, and of course I didn't have uh, the funds to to go, so I wrote to Canadian Embassy and and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and. And eventually they got back to me and they said, sorry, we don't have any scholarships, but we can give you uh, a temporary work visa. So I borrowed uh, money from Royal Bank of Mom and Dad for the airfare, and then they got 700 Deutschmarks. And in 1999, I uh, landed at, uh, at the uh, Pearson Airport and I had a return ticket and six months uh, later. And I, I had two email addresses. One was for a professor at the U of T, and the other one was at Queen's University. And and I very quickly realized that I don't have first and last month's rent. You know, my, my 700 Deutschmarks <laughs> will not get me, uh, you know, to, to, to stay. Uh, and I had three days prepaid at the Global Village Backpackers. Uh, so I had to make a move uh, to to Kingston. Very Global quickly. Village Backpackers. Yeah, was yeah I think the, you told me. Is that the one on Young Street? I, I think it's gone now, but it was at Spadina and uh, Queen, I believe. Uh, okay, got it. it. Was really, okay, so you like land at Toronto Pearson, right? And you make yourself, uh, you make your way down to downtown Toronto, Spadina and Queen. That's right. And then from there, you're emailing these professors. Yeah, two two guys. I met with the UFT prof, and 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 it was just. You know, it was just too overwhelming. I think both for him and 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 for me to kind of negotiate uh, uh, the the landscape of city of Toronto, and I kind of realized I can't get first and last month's rent. I cannot live literally, and I have to stay here for six months. So, uh, so I went down to Queens, and and the professor I worked with over there, Will Kimlicka, who was a, a fantastic human being and and a leading scholar in the field of immigration and citizenship, and. And he hooked me up with a library card and, and let me work uh, in, his, in his office, actually. And I got a restaurant job. And, and uh, yeah, it was, you know, I survived the five, five months, did research during the, during the night and work during the day. And, uh, and then I went back, did another master's uh, in, uh, at uh, Central European University in Hungary. And uh, we kind of liked the student lifestyle, my uh, girlfriend back then, now wife uh, and I, and we said, well, let's let's extend our youth by another five years. And, oh, so and that, yeah, that's how you got the PhD. That, that's right. And then and so we applied to uh, U of T and we were very fortunate to get uh, uh, full year, full five years worth of funding and worked as teaching assistants. And but then halfway through the program, I, I kind of realized that. You know, I'm burning out and I don't want to be an academic. So, again, we didn't have the money to for me to go through the MBA program. Uh, but uh, I kind of felt I need to gain financial literacy because my parents were experiencing financial difficulties back home. And 
and um, you know I needed to grow up so so I started taking courses and uh, I as I said it was auditing the courses not taking them uh, I was knew how to study and be cheeky so I, I went to talk to the uh, individual professors and they let me sit in be fly on the wall and and do the homework and listen what they had to say and so I took corporate finance accounting marketing and one of the courses I took was in real estate development. It was uh, taught by uh, this billionaire um, owner of uh, Smart Centers, uh, the, the developer that brought uh, Walmart to Canada. And, um, you know, he must have liked the fire in the belly. Sorry, he was teaching that course? He was teaching that okay, course. Okay, so that yes. then you approached him or whatever? Well, Not I like approached him bef before I started taking the course and, and, and after the course, I said, look, I, I really, I enjoyed what, what you just, what you were presenting here, but I would like to learn more. And I took the course actually again. And I think the fact that, that I took it again and, and he saw me again and, and uh, probably could relate to the-, to the And who the, was he? He is the owner, Mitchell Goldhart, he's the owner of, uh, of Smart Centers. So. Like the guy who's putting all the big big box Smart Centers all across the GTA? Correct. Well, he, he sold the company now. or the, the It's uh, owned by a REIT of some REIT, sort? Correct. Yeah, so okay. Smart REIT. But uh, you know, I've only great things to say about him. He gave me a, a chance to uh, join the company. I took part of their executive rotation program. So it was for all the graduate MBAs that qualified uh, they go through uh, a two-year program where they get really con condensed uh, But I thought you learning. didn't have an MBA. I didn't, but as I said, I, I went through the, I guess, uh, PhD was considered as an equivalent. Okay, so of, you had uh, this PhD, so you thought, okay, fine. You've, <laughs> suffered, you've suffered enough. Whatever that PhD yeah, is in, yeah, you're good to go. Yeah. Okay, got it, got uh, it. But anyway, great, great experience, uh, great people uh, there, and... and uh, and then you know 2008 rolled over the the crisis came in and so i decided to stay on the leasing side because i figured that there will always be vacancies and and you can uh, you'll you'll have a you'll have a job and and so i worked on the walmart anchored power centers and the development of of, of these types of assets then when zellers went bankrupt i switched over to the enclosed mall portfolio because i wanted to learn that side of the business and and I also f felt that there will be a lot of inventory, a lot of shopping centers that were built in the 60s and 70s that will need kind of refurbishing. And whoever knows how, how to do that will be a very marketable person. So I did that for three, four years. And then Strath Allen, my current employer, came knocking. And they it's a boutique company that uh, works for, uh, deploys money of pension funds. And they buy, you know, mismanaged shopping centers, uh, and they buy them, fix them, and sell them for profit. So they basically, the way most real estate investors think about flipping houses, they they basically flip mismanaged shopping centers. That is that is correct for yes. for good returns. Correct. Uh, so so the, it's it's a vertically integrated. Uh, company so they have their what does that mean vertically integrated you're well you're well to the corporate <laughs> speak now you're well i'm My having apologies. flashbacks i'm having flashbacks vertically integrated so they handle everything, everything. they they do the renovate they fill it with the new tenants they Correct. renovate the property so they drop a new pad because you guys use that language of putting a new pad yeah. which is to me a new like building on the lot of the plaza that's right like a new retail establishment so so vertically integrated means that you know, you're investor you give a company like this money they they find the assets so they have acquisitions team they have a construction development team that fixes the asset they have property management team they have a leasing team which backfills the, the vacancies and increases the revenue we have accounting pull this right into front of you yeah there we go no, it's we have uh, accounting uh, accounting um, um, I guess uh, entity within within our uh, within our uh, company as well uh, we have Tax advisors. So Strath Allen is privately owned. Privately owned. Privately right. owned. Their customer is who? Like who's buying these? So they are selling these to like REITs. Pen, no, it's Pen, pension it's funds. Pension funds. Pu private pension funds. Uh, no, public pension funds. Public pension but funds. But we have, uh, and and that's that's the business where we'll be potentially looking to uh, to to grow as well as is, is uh, 
as you know, taking private, you know, high net worth individuals' uh, uh, money and investing it in, in these uh, value add. So Strath Allen buys the strip mall, the rundown strip mall, fixes it up, and then sells it to a pension fund who wants that as part of their real estate, the real estate component of their portfolio. That's right. Okay, got it. And 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 these these would be the riskier types of real estate holdings. So every pension fund has certain allocation of from their capital to towards real estate. Typically, it would be ten to fifteen percent of their total capital That's allocation. It? Those guys are missing out, man. <laughs> Good. Don't tell them about real estate. Ten to fifteen percent is enough. Let and, them have everything else. And out of that ten fifteen percent, you know, seventy percent would be for uh, something that is very stable, like Yorkdale or Shareway Gardens. You know, the AAA assets, and and some of it would be for. Uh, allocated for the riskier assets, and that's what we deal with. Okay, uh, and and a ri- that is what specifically smaller strip malls uh, in yes. smaller communities. It's in secondary tertiary markets. Yes, smaller communities. Uh, okay, so like a strip mall like in Saskatch- Brantford, Ontario. Correct. Okay, got it. So, no. yeah, and 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 the, the rationale is that you're you are uh, the reason why why they're parking money with us is because we can achieve higher returns than what the AAA um, properties would. Because those are bid up and so much competition, the price on it, so the capitalization rate is driven down because people are just bid, everybody wants a piece of Yorkdale Mall. Right. And, and you're buying it half vacant, you fill up the vacancies, you, you bring in quality tenants, uh, you de-risk the property, you secure longer term uh, leases with these tenants and, and that you know, de-risks the property, it compresses the cap rate, so the okay. final value would be great. And I have a whole bunch of questions for you, but they consider this a risky or piece of real estate because it's it's a strip mall. Like, what what is it like? Or, or give me the breakdown. What's not risky real estate? Yorkdale. Uh, your it's uh, well, well, part of it is because to me, not really risky real estate is like a residential mm-hmm. single family home. Well, part of it is location. So, so the big five, the big cities, the you okay. know, where the job growth is okay, and, yeah. and demographic uh, growth is. So that would be one. Okay, aspect so income of it. and population growth. It would be the tenant mix as well. Okay, and, uh, yeah. right now, um, and and the type of asset enclosed. So, like when and- Cheesecake Factory is in Yorkdale, <laughs> Cheesecake Factory can pay their bills. Right. So they're a good. They're well, a good- it's also is it, is it an enclosed mall? Is it not? Is it a power center or is it is it you know food store anchored uh, strip? So the food store anchored strips are perceived as the least. Uh, uh, risky, just because they're necessities based as opposed to uh, discretionary uh, based, and um, so the rationale is people always have to do their groceries. They'll go. Uh, um, they all need to do. You know, you have a dollar store. You usually have a discount. Or you have a hair salon, nail salon, uh, medical. Uh, Got it. So then if it's not anchored, so if there's no grocery store, no shoppers, Nick, by the way, has joined us. Nick, can you say something? Yeah, this okay, I'm looking good. at this new holder. I this know. thing's crazy. Watch out though, man. It's spring loaded and I haven't adjusted the spring. It's going to smash me in the face. So it'll, it's not going to smash out. you. You know it's going to smash Peter. Oh, okay. So <laughs> if you're not careful with this thing, this thing's going to whip over and uh, smash him in the head. I wish you had this on video. So no. sorry, sorry, I'm interrupting. Go no, on. but so uh, if it's if it's food based, it's pretty safe. What about a shopper's drug mart? Is that considered a grade yeah. A anchor? It's 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 more. It's like when you're buying stocks, right? You're in when you're risk averse. You, you you're buying stocks that are focused on uh, the the necessities as opposed to discretionaries. If you're if you're if you want to get into riskier things, then you would get into discretionary. So. Fashion is a prime example of a discretionary type of uh, use, and uh, they're they're getting punished right now by e-commerce by the fact that people are you know cost sensitive. So if you're if you're to go with with a tenant that is um, kind of fashion uh, oriented or from that cohort, you'll probably go with somebody like TJX or Winners uh, Marshalls, you know, somebody who is a discounter, right? To to make sure that uh that they're here tomorrow and and it's it's a reflection of what's happening to the society oh, oh i mean you, you guys are talking about the no more middle right and and that's uh that's really what what we're seeing you know so the, all these malls are just going to basically services food based you basically have your shawarma place your pizza pizza the bank 
uh, a daycare. Sushi. Sushi's Su- everywhere. Yeah, sushi. <laughs> uh, you're going to have maybe an RBC or, a, uh, yeah, like a, like I said, a, a bank. And you're never going to have in a small strip ball anymore the menswear store, the shoe repair guy, the guy who sharpens your skates. Like all those kind of places are gone. The ladies, store, the ladies fashion store is mm-hmm. gone. The little jeweler, the little local jeweler that used to be yeah. there. Those are all gone. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Put no, it in, Peter. In let's 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 go way. negative. Let's just say they're all gone. <laughs> it's just every every use. You really have to on top of it and, and and kind of see how these uses are changing, right? So so any fashion tent, fashion will always be around. It's just the tenants who are not really uh, don't have omni-channel offering. They don't have online presence. They don't participate in social media. They don't cater to all you know five senses like these people yeah the small big. like you said that the local community guys are harder to c- come by there's a, a place and tom maybe you mentioned it, the mall by one of the malls by by our place there was like a linen store that moved in i don't know 18 months ago and i walked by that store and i'm like how the heck and it's a strip ball like it's an outdoor strip ball i'm like how the heck is this place even still here even after that short time I've, i don't i've maybe ever seen one person in the store in all the times i've walked by but i think it's those places they don't really kind of I guess some people put them in if they have to, but there's not much value add there. Um, again, the, the the art of commercial real estate is is looking at the location, and and you know, the location is typically determined. Pull this right in front of your mouth and turn it if you want. Here, pull it like this. There we go. Yeah, there, there we go. go. Well, now we got stereo sound. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so the, the the everybody says you know location, 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 and and. You know, for for a typical strip center, the 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 key factor determining whether it's a good location or not is is obviously access to a major uh, artery. Uh, but if if you're dealing with a neighborhood plaza, where which is convenience based, most of the tenants you have in there are you know are you know your drugstore, your your bank, your your dollar store, your your Tim Hortons. Uh, your grocery store, it will be all about proximity to the roofs, to the residential. Uh, so, and, and so is and, that and how stra- you guys? So, I want to back up and ask you some questions about your history in a second. But th- is that how you guys will look at an opportunity to flip a mismanaged strip mall? It'll be something close to what you call roofs, close to residential housing. Um, but let's say, like, if you're out in Brantford, w- what are you looking at? You're looking at it does it's not it doesn't have the population base of Toronto but it has a growing population it doesn't have the income levels of Toronto but it has good income so it, you're looking at good income good population and someone has just not put the right tenant in there you guys feel with your leasing team you can step in there uh, make the facade of the strip mall nicer and put in better tenants that's that's certainly part of it. Uh, renegotiating some of the operating operations contracts, like snow removal contracts. Uh, okay, so reduce expense. So you're going to increase income, reduce the expenses. That's right. It, it, looking for new, uh, you know, adding density, adding more gross leasable area, uh, converting. If you have an enclosed mall, maybe turning the enclosed mall into a strip center, reducing the operating costs. Uh, we look for assets that have lower you know under market rents uh, so that's another example of adding value uh, through our relationships with some of the national tenants securing longer term leases with them okay so you're doing all the little things that compounded together really change this asset because what you're trying so you're bringing your years of experience to play here very much and and understanding how the tenants operates because you can at the end of the day it's it's a very small industry so if once people, and similar as in your business, once people trust you, and, and I'm talking about tenants trusting the landlord, uh, they know that you can deliver certain kind of product uh, in, a, in, a, in a time frame that you said you will deliver it and to the specification that they, they require. And, and you can, if they know that you know how they operate, you will not do anything that would you know, hurt their operations in the way they, they make money. So that's, that's so. Is that the first thing you guys do when you buy a strip mall? You can communicate with the existing tenants of like, hey, look, we got your backs here. Sure. Yes, and and a lot of a lot of it is 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 really um, under leaning back on on our history with with that tenant and saying, remember, we we're even recycling some of the some of the leases that we have with them, the precedent forms, because at the end of the day, everybody's so busy. Uh, they need to do you know thirty store a year. Wouldn't you want to 
deal with the landlord that you know is not painful to deal with. You have already established precedent form, so it's it's a fairly straightforward process to to conclude the transaction. And then what what happened? Have you? I guess what happens if you screw up? Like if you screw up on a residential flip, you're kind of screwed because no, really, because if you think you're going to buy a property for a million bucks and you're going to sell it for like two million dollars or whatever, but the market changes or you just can't build in that value, you can lose. You can lose all your profit. You might even go negative, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you can only sell it for one point six. You thought you were going to sell it for two million, and you know all the profit you thought is wiped out and it's it's over. In a strip mall, is it the exact same risk? Well, the the it is and it it is in a sense that you you can if you overpay for for an asset then it's you know you have to you know amortize it over a longer period of time so you have to find a vehicle or a way of holding it for a long period of time. Okay, like uh, anything, yeah. That's You're, right. The long term, if you can survive the long term, you can crawl out of your mess. The one thing that you cannot control is is um, you know the. I guess the bankruptcy of your tenants. You know, sometimes you had Target. Everybody thought they're rock stars. No, Every, no but everybody <laughs> thought they were going to be great. Yeah, and and then they had you know a great covenant on the leases, and if if you were smart, even the the U.S. entity, and then and then it went sideways, and and they spent you know a lot of money improving the spaces to the tenant specifications, and then two years. What later. so what happened to that? So like there's a mall in Oakville, I think Hopedale Mall. Mm-hmm. I think they put in Target. And I think they fixed up the store and stuff. Right. What happened? Did did Target just escape from all those leases unscathed? Well, I, I think it. I mean, a lot of the information was kind of proprietary. Yeah, but if was, you had to guess, let's fate, Peter. Uh, you know what happened. Would, you could just tell us what happened. <laughs> what do you think happened? Well, there was there was it just depended on what type of covenant you had on the leases. If you had just the Canadian entity, then that entity went bankrupt. And and you know part of the. The, the problem was that the Canadian entity was liquidating the the inventory and the profits went back to the U.S. mothership. So you you, you would have. It just Do you dep- think anybody had a U.S. covenant on the lease? Oh, the I, I know of landlords that who who did and the prudent ones uh, did. Okay, got it. So some did, some didn't. It sounds right. like yes. Oh, geez. Okay, I want to back up just for a quick second. You said in the Czech Republic you did. Uh, some kind of paper or something on why Canada didn't break up when the Soviet Union did and when Czech Republic <laughs> did. What's the answer? Why didn't Canada break? Why hasn't Canada broken up? Why is Quebec and Ontario? Why are we still all friends? And why in these other countries did it break up? What's the answer? Uh, the 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 answer is uh, Canadians have. I mean. It's my 30-second... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me the 30-second answer. I don't want to go through years of research. Just give me the 30-second answer. What it comes down to is is trust. And and the, f- the fact that Canadians, uh, the different parties who are kind of fighting with each other, and just the, the, whether it's the Quebecois and the Anglophones or the First Nations and and the majority society or, or, or the individual provinces um, and their regional interests, they do trust the, um, um, I guess, the, the judicial system, the legislative system, and they believe that it's not rigged in favor of one or the other. The, the problem with a lot of the, uh, the, the Soviet Union, the Yugoslavia and, the, and, and Czechoslovak uh, uh, system was that it was heavily uh, favoring uh, the central powers, the central power being Communist Party. So when it came to the renegotiating the constitutions or the way people were um, to cohabitate again, the different ethnic groups, people felt that it was favoring you know one or the other. And, and a lot of the breakups were over, uh, over discussions, what will be the new way of negotiating our differences? Uh, what will be our new constitution? Mm, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. got it. And and the other reason is that so Canada's long term, 150 years worth of liberal democracy and 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 kind of civility, and, and also the fact that there's plurality of alliances here. You know, it's not you don't have just Anglo's versus Quebecois. You have there are times when when. The Quebecois coalesce with First Nations against, uh, you know, uh, Ontario. Uh, there is uh, Alberta again uh, in coalition with uh, with Ontario against Quebec, and and so it's 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 not you, you don't get stuck in kind of beaten tracks of 
you know, us versus them. It's it's more uh, fluid and mm-hmm. porous. And you don't have histories of just outright slaughter between the people. Yeah, like, I don't know, between the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic, but am I saying it right? Slovak Republic? Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a history of just, like, annihilation of those two people? Uh, not not really. I mean, okay, so it's not like the Croats and the Serbs yeah. who just go at it. I mean, there, there it was even more complicated because you had uh, islands of different... It was very... It was not... Uh, the ethnic, uh, um, the ethnogeographic uh, uh, layout of the community was was not kind of as homogeneous as it was in Czechoslovakia because you know you would have pockets of Bosniaks and, and yeah, Serbs a, and yeah. it was a disaster. So, so it was a disaster. So couple that with the you know, couple with, that with land disputes, mix in religion, land disputes, politics all together and, and then hundreds of years of history saying yeah. that family murdered this family yeah. over here yeah. i mean you couldn't put more ingredients together in a smaller yeah. piece of land yeah. disaster yeah it was it's it was sad very, very, it's sad uh, very tragic yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay so that that was just uh so the czechs and the slovaks were a little bit more uh cordial Wait, to, they, I, they call it the velvet divorce yeah okay. okay i got a question i walked in a little bit late right i apologize i was i had to sign uh some checks. I'm sure some people in the office are happy that I I, I was late, so I do do apologize. But I, you guys were talking about the value of these these commercial real estates and different tenants and stuff, and I, maybe you touched on it. So if I did, just ignore me and move on. LCBO and beer store. Mm-hmm. Do those are those like what? How are those considered by landlords? Because you'd think that those bring in traffic, yeah. and you'd think that they were pretty stable as tenants because I mean the government, you know, they'll just they'll just tax more if they need to make their government for LCBO, not for the beer store. They're private, right? But still pretty big corporations behind them any any experience with that because i'm thinking of this one mall with all the different tenants and i'm like i just wonder about those types of things yeah no they're uh, very much sought after uh, great traffic generators okay. uh, relatively stable covenants i mean lcbo is, is, is a great covenant uh i believe the the beer producers are are backing uh, the beer store yeah. as a uh, they're experiencing changes as well with uh, grocery stores introducing uh, yeah, that's beer right. and wine, right? So there, it's not you know headwinds free, uh, but still great traffic generators. Now, obviously, we had it was a great kerfuffle over, you know, the the marijuana licensing. Who will who will have it? Will it yeah. be through LCBO or not? And and then we know what happened in Ontario. And that was the next thing I was going to ask you. So if those ones seem like decent ones, I mm-hmm. guess marijuana might be too new to know because you would think that over time those things might bring in traffic to malls as well. Different clientele. I, I don't know. I know the beer store. Like even though the the supermarkets have it now. Your habits, at least my habits, because for so many years I went to LCBO or a beer store, I still never think to go to like a grocery store to pick up some beer if I need mm-hmm. it, right? So the habits are kind of ingrained. But uh, yeah, I'm just curious what the marijuana thing, any any thoughts about that? Or are people just still <laughs> waiting to see kind of how the dust settles with that type of stuff? Well, it, uh, I personally think, I mean, it depends on where you st- stand morally i i you know, leaving that debate sure aside, yeah, yeah um i think from landlord's point of view it's it's great news because we're there's you know tell me who who is growing right now in this environment uh um so certainly great traffic generators as well i was looking at uh, some of the data that is publicly available through the branches that are owned by governments so that's uh, in prince edward island and that's uh where government owns it and and the you know small 25 3000 square foot unit would generate equal amount of traffic as a as a 17000 square foot shoppers drug mart oh, wow. uh, the the sales are incredible as well um, and uh, but uh, i i were everybody has to see i mean now now i'm not sure if you follow the media about the the emergency room now being filled with uh, with teenagers who are kind of overdosing with, edibles. with the edibles. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, we do live in a in a Puritan society <laughs> after all. So we'll see how the the government, uh, uh, what kind of stance they will take towards that. But uh, I think you know what it's 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 what people thought of liquor you know the morning after prohibition was was uh, was abolished. Sure. Yeah. Right. So I know if I owned the Hasty Market next to the Next to the marijuana shop that opened up, I'd oh be pretty. God. I'd be yeah. stock be up on Doritos chips and pretzels, and yeah. <laughs> so, so, so to sum up this commercial real estate for someone listening to this, it's just done as 
uh, multi-unit residential. You basically analyzing the net operating income. So you're taking all the income from a plaza. Mm -hmm. You're looking at that income, trying to increase it where possible. You're trying to get better covenants if you can. You get trying to get better tenants if you can. Maybe extend their leases if you can. And then you're trying to reduce expenses, snow removal expenses, landscaping mm -hmm. expenses, whatever you're doing. And then if there's a big parking lot, perhaps I don't, you're going to put down a new pad. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just like saying that for some reason. You put down a new pad and you're going to drop building, in a yeah. Tim Hortons in there or a Shoppers Drug Mart mm -hmm. or a new building of some sort mm -hmm. in there and your restaurant. And that'll be another way to increase the income, obviously, on that. Thing. Sure. Am I missing? Are those are the main components, correct? Yes. I mean, you can you can add value through. Um, better financing as well. If you, if you uh, typically, and, and when you're when you're buying an asset, sometimes you 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 can either buy it free and clear, which means there's no financing on it, or you can assume the mortgage. And you know, if you have a skillful broker, they do mark to market uh, adjustment, which means the if the going um, interest rate is is lower or more than what the the mortgage is, you, it find its way into into the purchase price that 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 you're you're paying for that uh, for that asset, but you can once you so if the financing it, was crap, you're going to get a better purchase price. That's right, because yeah, okay. you can you can say well, Play I'm, I'm leaving that. money on the table, yeah, yeah, right? Okay. And 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 if your covenant is great as a, as a, as a new owner, you and you have relationships with banks, again, you can you know maybe get better better financing, and and again depends on. Who your investor is. If they're looking for cash flow, then you're probably going to stretch the amortization period, and 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 you'll you'll try to uh, you know calibrate your your uh, your uh, mortgage differently than if somebody's just don't doesn't really care about um, cash flow and they just want to. Okay, and then where most of your work is done in the Ontario area, or right no, across we're, Canada. We're actually across Canada. We're from. Summerside, PEI to New Westminster, British Columbia. Okay, so I'm curious, what are you guys seeing around population trends in Ontario then? You must be looking at some data that, I know we've briefly talked about the stuff between mm -hmm. you and I. I, I'm obsessed with this data, mm -hmm. but what are you seeing? Well, certainly migration towards uh, the greater uh, Golden Horseshoe, uh, migration from the smaller communities to bigger communities following jobs. Uh, um, there is um, a lot of kind of north-south migration as well. Uh, people moving from the uh, from the, the Sudburys of the world down hmm. towards uh, uh, you know the south where where it's sunnier and but it's it's really I driven really by thought jobs. of us as the south, Peter. But okay, <laughs> fine. I, I, I always thought we're the north, uh, but yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. But Ontario, I mean, it's all relative, right? Ontario as a, as as a whole is is a great recipient of outside immigration. Canada as a whole is is as you know, I think it's 1.4 percent of its uh, population is is being added uh, through uh, external immigration. Um, we see a lot of movement towards Toronto and GTA, and again, uh, fueled by job creation. I, I think I mentioned to you that the yeah. forecast for for just that little corridor between Church Street and and uh, and um, University and Wellington and for, uh, Front Street is you know eighty thousand jobs over the next four years just through the office towers that are mushrooming over there. Uh, so that's some commercial real estate um, forecast thinking 80,000 new jobs into that that's little right. core. It's just looking at the office inventory. That okay, got it. That's how they're released. extrapolating it. They're just seeing the offices yes. go up, yes. assuming that those are all tenanted with commercial right. buildings. That's how many new jobs would be created. Yeah. Oh, they, sorry, with commercial tenants, mm -hmm. that's how many new jobs would mm -hmm. be created. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yes. That's insane. Yeah, I know it's... it's and those are high-paying jobs. Yeah, they were, I mean, they're not as high-paying as, as as Silicon Valley. Uh, they're about a, a third or forty percent of what people get in Silicon Valley, and so between Trump effect and that's okay, we get a third about the sun that they get in California. <laughs> so I don't care that, uh, but I, I understand what you're saying. Okay, and that's the attractiveness to different places like LinkedIn and Twitter mm -hmm. and some of these companies that are down mm -hmm. there. I think Google did. Nick, do you know if Google announced they were going to put a thousand new jobs in Kitchener? No, they. Uh, not that I saw. Not oh, okay. that I saw. That's someone. Why do, why do we have that in our heads? Someone that I know that works up there mentioned, uh, they might. mentioned that that's what they were looking at. Okay. I, I I I couldn't even. Uh, 
I, I couldn't even got that number incorrect, so I would, okay. I would oh, definitely would have just been spreading this yeah. number around. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that wasn't for public sharing. I tried to tell. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like, I was pretty sure that's what he said, but I forget. I forget what it was. It was early, and I wasn't sure. And then how you're so you do this on a full time basis in your, and you're you're the leasing arm basically of of what you do, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. But now you're segueing into real estate yourself. Mm-hmm. What the heck are you doing? Like, I just assume people in your situation are already in real estate for like 10, 20 years, but you kind of surprised me to like, well, I know I actually know cap rates and net operating income expenses. I can drop into Tim Hortons, a shopper's drug right here, but this is something that you haven't been doing for 10 and 20 years, but you're going to do this now yourself, correct? Yes. I mean, that's, that's the irony of it. Uh, because uh, there's been people like us, Peter, who don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I've been out here doing it for like 20 years. And there's people like yourself who know and you're sharpening the pencil and, mm-hmm. and you have all these different calculations and uh, you're now going to jump in. Well, I've been jumping in uh, uh, for the past four years uh, yeah. or three years. Uh, but it was uh, you put your finger on and by saying, you know, there's it's. A lot of there's a lot of people who may be working in commercial real estate, but they don't have the mindset to really get involved personally. And and I was, I was one of them. And and well, you're busy. It's easier to uh, do some stock market stuff. You're building your career. You don't have the time. I, I mean, I a lot of it's understandable. Yeah, but I think it's it's more than that. Uh, it's it's there's something about you know the mindset that we're socialized into as you know being groomed to be salaried employees and. And that's you know part of the school system that we, we grow up. Oh, in. you're just preaching to the choir now. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. No, but you know, because you're like, saying dealing with real estate is a little bit degrading. Well, well let me put it this way: I, I like there are two formative moments uh, in, in my life. One was growing up under socialism and kind of seeing the aftermath, like when what happened when the wall came down. You, you basically somebody pressed the reset button. And and overnight, you know, you, you change from socialism to private. So everything was state owned, and obviously the state needed to get the capital flowing. So they they had coupon privatization. Everybody would get their bat, batch of stocks. They would uh, let people buy the the state owned properties at at you know cents on the dollar because they needed to get uh, you know the mortgage system going. So. I remember uh, when, you know, in 1990, 1989, my brother who was 18 at that time, came to my parents and said, guys, we got, we got to, we got to buy this. This is, and it was, uh, I think that the price was about $15,000 for a two bedroom condo, thousand square foot condo. Is this where your family was living? That's right. It's, it's Kingston size community downtown, like very strategic location. So, you know, that property here and, and my parents, their response and they're, and they're smart you know, wonderful, hardworking people, their response was, are you crazy? Only the lunatics go get into debt, right? And so, and, and that was not because, as I said, they would not be, you know, savvy, but it was a complete foreign concept between the old school mindset of not being in debt to anybody and the, the, the I guess, the, the novelty of, of the private ownership. A lot of people stayed kind of, didn't act, didn't take advantage of that opportunity. And and what was the price of this place? $15,000 for, for a two-bedroom. So right now, it, it went up by 1,000%. It's $150,000, $200,000 in you know, 30 years later. In the mean, so they- That's they a co- decent return. They, they, <laughs> they continued renting. And guys, that rent went from 1,500 check rounds to 10,000. So no. 650%. So my mom's pension, as goes towards paying off just, just the cost of housing. So any extraordinary expenses, so they live off my dad's pension basically, which is another 500, 600 bucks. So any extraordinary expense, whether it's changing tires, whether it's property taxes, or, or, or you know, the, God forbid if they wanted to come, come to see us, mm-hmm. right, is, can theoretically break their, or practically break their back. Right. So seeing and, and they're the reason why I'm mentioning it is that you they're not a alone. Very interesting historical context that most people don't mm-hmm. have, Peter. But, but but Tom, I go when the reason why it's relevant to uh, to the listeners, I, I, when I travel through, you know, Summerside, you know, uh, the rural communities or, or even urban communities in Canada, 
you talk to people uh, who are in, you know, they didn't grow up under socialism, but but they have a similar mindset, right? And and they they're being left behind. And I know everybody's talking about uh, you know the the affordability crisis for the first time buyers and all that, and and it is a legitimate problem. But you know what? It's it's going to be even harder, and, and the bigger problem that very few people are talking about is the elderly. You know, they they will have just 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 think of improving healthcare. Uh, people will be living longer and longer. They didn't really have the uh, the mindset to 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 buy assets that are generating income, so they're relying on their savings. Can you imagine the anxiety that people have or will have when they see? their RSPs shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. The cost of senior, assisted seniors housing in Ontario is $45,000. Like That's $45,000 a month, A I month, guess? yes. So, so the, the concept, the, the notion of outliving your money is, is, a, is a very real thing. Yeah, in the next that, 20 years, we're going to see a lot of weird stuff. After man. tax, $45,000. So After tax, that's a good point. Right. So even if you have additional savings, if you're taking out too much, even from your RRSP, you're getting taxed on it. It, it, it See, I never. I, quickly, I don't right? think. I always think of the population growth coming. Mm-hmm. I never look at it from a demographic point of view of all the retirees, yeah. the people who are, are getting older. You're you're right. And at least the millennials, they can they can they have 30, 40 years to, to adjust figure it and out. figure it yeah. out. But people who are you know elderly or sick. That's going to be, and maybe Damn. it's a, maybe it's the no, socialist. No, no, you're right. Me, no, but, no, no, but no. But listen, there's good parts to socialism. I'm not a pro, yeah. so I'm not really pro socialist. But there are good parts to helping your neighbor, to making sure yeah. we all have health care, to taking care of each other. Like there is a really value. I don't think any one of us here wants to live in a society where mm. if if Peter breaks his arm, he yeah, can't go to the hospital crap. because yeah, yeah. he can't get get the right stuff. Right? I mean, we all want that. You know, and and I saw socialism, and so did Nick when we went to go visit our family in in Europe. And the weird parts of socialism, I think, are that it's not exactly fair the way most people think of it because of the corruption that goes through the mm. system. You would see people in Yugoslavia apply for different housing or something, and then they get approved, and they'd say, "Okay, you got approved for this different housing, but you have to wait like ten years." Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no. yeah like you, you're approved, Peter, and your family's approved, but like you're not actually going to recognize that that benefit for like 10 years and stuff. And I don't like having that kind of stuff shoved at me in a society. But uh, but there are good things to uh, having equal access to certain uh, social programs for everybody. I think you want to live in a society that that, you know, where people are not desperate, where people are, you know, sinking into a situation where dignity is, you know, gone. Right. So to have sustainable liberal democracy, you need to have people with stakes in the society and with. uh, I forgot I'm talking to a Ph.D. in this subject. (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Keep going. Keep going. But but anyway, what what I was trying to say is that that was that was extremely formative for me. And that what what kind of between my Strathallen experience and seeing how we add value to properties and you know, kind of the financial literacy that I gained through that and seeing... Uh, yeah, do you the, realize the, the advanced financial literacy that you have? But, but, but there's so many... It's, it's just ideas, right? <laughs> unless, unless, you, unless you start acting on it, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's just fantastic. So what, what did you is. do? What was your first stake in the ground? You, did a, you bought a condo I, and fixed no, it, it up? No, w- it was a triplex and, and close, to, uh, close to where we live on the Danforth. And, and it was... I had no idea. You have a tri a triplex just off the Danforth. When when did you buy that? Uh, about three four years. That's ago. right. You were telling me yes. you bought it and you fixed it up. Yeah, and but yeah, I was all have even though working in in commercial real estate, I, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> that, that was great. The, that was you're the, like <laughs> all the rest of us. Don't worry. So so uh, so it was it was a very successful project. I bought it well and to this date I don't know why more people didn't bid on it it needed just cosmetic changes we fixed up the bathrooms well everybody uh, thought it was overpriced here I'll tell you why people didn't buy it because every year people tell me it's over properties are overpriced mm. but when you can generate income on the property like you know how to mm. it doesn't really matter and the price is the price specifically it's like when you look at a strip mall the price in and of itself isn't the whole story mm. it's what are the income and expenses you just told me that Right. So on this triplex, what was the income when you bought it? Was it was but, it maxed out? You know, it was 
two basement, uh, two bedroom basement apartment for six hundred, all in- including utilities. And again, like it's okay. So it was well barely, under, well under. But I had no, I I didn't do any research. I was just you know foolish and and reckless. Uh, the main floor was also two bedroom apartment. It was thousand dollars, including utilities, and the upstairs was empty. So sixteen hundred. You know, we fixed it up with the help of our friend. Spent thirty. $30,000 fixing up all the bathrooms and kitchens and flooring and lighting, all the kind of emotionally significant features of the house. And and by, you know, I charged, I, th- I think we took the uh, the income to about 5300 a month. Uh, it was 1200 downstairs and, and the balance between the So you the took it from 1600 to 5300 yeah, so so I, I looked yeah, at Peter, it. Yeah, Peter, so you're you're you can do this. I, I guess you got it figured I, out. No, but the the I I looked at it. And says, it looks Holy like you're smokes. still freaking out. Right? You're still scared right now. <laughs> yeah, those numbers are great. Those and, are great returns. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And, and, and since then I've been looking for a similar house. I couldn't find it. Yeah, yeah. But, isn't it funny? You don't know what you're doing. You took a leap of faith. It right. ends up being your best investment ever. Now you set the bar so high, you're yeah. not going to find another return Can't like that anywhere. It. Yeah. So so at that point, a lot of my buddies started saying, "Well." I want to get touch. in. On, you got the touch, Peter. I got to get in on the the next one, and and I said, guys, keep your money. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to get hurt. But anyway, there was a critical mass of people who started asking me. So I said, okay, I owe it to 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 my cohort, to my peeps, to get educated. And and I called up uh, Quentin D'Souza. Uh, I started yeah, following cool. the, I awesome. following podcasts, uh, yours, and uh, and a couple of others, and. And then eventually I called Quentin and he took me on under his wing for six months. And with him, I learned the, the basement conversion. So I did uh, did that. Awesome. And I always try to do something new on the next project. So the next one was complete gut with the basement conversion. Then I did a couple of flips. One was a, a condo as well. So always something new. Um, I'm working on a 15 plex right now with one of the principals from, from, from our office. So it has a two retail units, 13, uh, 13 residential units. Um, so always kind of trying to Yeah, see, that's interesting because we would always tell people, hey, if it's got too commercial, uh, maybe stay away from it. It adds a layer of complexity that you might not want to mess with. Mm-hmm. But with your experience, those two retail are like nothing to you. That's yeah. actually a comforting. I mean, the, the big advantage of, of uh, retail or, or commercial is, is that you can really force the appreciation very quickly. I mean, everybody says it's not... It's not uh, get uh, how's rich that quick. just on everything that we just shared or yes yes so you can number one you're passing through um, virtually on the commercial side on yeah, the retail everything side, everything through them uh, to to the tenants uh, there's no rent control uh, the lender looks at the asset not you personally uh, as much so the performance of the asset although you know you're, you're, you're still gonna have to personally guarantee it when you, you do p- but it's it's really your operational wherewithal that is being checked not Got it. so yeah, much okay good network, point right? yeah, yeah yeah how much experience do you have can you handle right. this type of project and, and you know, what's your uh, you know, investment thesis what's your strategy yeah, what's your, yeah, like, yeah. and you can you negotiate the record. personal guarantee so right. it's yeah. uh, a is that recourse term? or non-recourse yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it, it's it's the fact that you can uh, every dollar like let's say on a six cap uh, uh, property so the capitalization rate where the six cap every dollar that you increase the rent by equals twenty dollars worth of value. So okay, I just want to walk through that with everyone. So the capitalization rate would be the net operating income divided by the, the price. purchase price. Right. So the net operating income is the income minus the expenses, mm-hmm. whatever that number is, divided by the purchase price gives you a capitalization rate. Right. So you used an example of six, 6%. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying if you can, now, now walk me through the rest of the example, so paint the picture for everyone. So, so let's say you have, a, you have a vacancy of, you buy a strip center, you have a vacancy of 3,000 square feet, and you uh, sign a lease with, uh, with the dentist, uh, that dentist is willing to pay you twenty dollars base rent. So there are three, uh, three streams of income for you as a landlord. If you're in commercial, one is the base rent or minimum rent. Uh, second one is the common area maintenance charges. So that's all the operating costs there. You're passing through on a proportionate share basis to the tenant, and then is the property taxes. Um, so let's say the tenant is. Uh, Let's leave aside the CAM and property taxes. The tenant is willing to pay you $20 and their proportionate share of property taxes and, and common area maintenance. 
So you have a 3,000 square foot unit, which is empty. Uh, so you do, you have uh, uh, $60,000 uh, $60, worth of uh, annual income that you, that as new money, right? When you capitalize that at a 6%, you have created a million dollars worth of value. Obviously, there will be transaction costs. Okay, typically so the income just went up. Uh, by sixty thousand dollars was that the math? Correct. And then at a six percent, a six cap rate, the value of that building has now gone up by a million dollars. You have to net off of that. You have to subtract. We're all going to get into flipping strip malls. You have to subtract from that. You know, you're paying the broker. You're you're giving them uh, some some kind of ten allowance. There's a downtime. Uh, the tenant may ask you to you know rough in the plumbing or so. There may be associated costs with the transaction. So let's say it will probably be you know, $30 per square foot all in. Um, so you would subtract uh, the uh, the cost of, of running. The, so when you buy a strip mall or something with p a potential commercial in it, the price is, they're not using a hypothetical rent amount to come up with the capitalization rate. Because in your example right now, you just increased the value by like a million dollars. But wouldn't the person selling say, well, hey, I know that's vacant right now, but technically I know you could get this much, so I'm not selling it for a cap of 6%. Like, so, I, so do you know what I mean? Do you yes. know what I mean? Because in your example, you increased it by a million dollars, but I'm sure who's selling it purely vacant and not recognizing the potential? Well, it comes, so then again, it comes down to what type of market you're in. Uh, so sometimes, uh, the broker or the seller would say, well, it is your downtown Toronto. You will, your, your okay, chances of, of re releasing Okay, point this taken. But if you're in Saskatoon, in Correct. the outskirts of Saskatoon, and it's been vacant for two years, so, you're, they're not going to recognize that income. But you, being the savvy uh, mall, mismanaged mall flipper, you can t take it now and find a tenant for that place. So so the key difference is, are you, are you buying it on in-place income? or stabilized income. In-place income is what is on the rent roll today. Got it. As opposed to stabilized when everything is, you know, pre you know, leased and, and, and fixed up. Okay. So the the seller obviously wants to sell it on stabilized. You as a buyer want to buy it on in place. If you see Okay. Uh, but and they, in they, residential it's usually stabilized because there's such low vacancy rates. Mm -hmm. We're usually buying it on right, the stabilized right. income, not on the in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Okay. That's so why places like in Alberta, even the residential, um, when the oil industry was booming, and places like Fort McMurray, you could buy you bought places for cheap, and then rents just skyrocketed. People were able to turn over those buildings and either refinance or flip them because the values jumped because there was no rent controls, mm. even the residential space. The downside was when when the industry dried up and the rents came back down, this is like residential, small town residential that was really dependent on one industry, but when the rents came back down, the value of those things dropped mm. pretty fast as well, right? So in that case, when you're purchasing that asset, you would actually want to go after, stab, buy it on a stabilized basis, right? Because you see it, totally. the, the, yeah. the, the, yeah, the falling yeah, yeah. knife, right? And you, you don't wanna buy today's dollars because you know that it will be, the revenue will be lower um, down, you know, a few months down. Yeah. And so, okay, so this is all then you uh, are going to steadily add to your own personal portfolio? Yes. So uh, I'm, I'm doing that. On a, so I, I'm using it as an educational tool as well, kind of coming full circle. So seeing, you know, what, what, what happened to my parents. Obviously, I want to, you know, improve my financial literacy, but I also want to make sure that our kids uh, awesome. have, have, yeah. have that. So we how, get, how old are your kids? Uh, they just turned 10 and 7. A boy and a girl and and we get them i mean i'm sure their ears are bleeding by now but because i play podcasts every time we travel through hockey game or but but you know what they're they're like so sponges. your kids might listen to this then <laughs> what yeah. are their uh, yeah what are their names kaya and nia kaya and nia yeah we, kaya and nia if you're listening to this your father is a really smart man <laughs> you listen to him okay he's the smartest guy we've ever ever interviewed so you make sure you listen to him i'll, I'll pay you later Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um it's, but all kidding aside, we actually started a company named after them, Kaya and Nia Properties Inc. Awesome. And, and, and we're, but we're using um, the assets as, as a tool, as, as a kind of playground for so, them to, to learn, to gain financial literacy. And, and you're uh, somebody from academia yeah. who's actually coming out into the real world. Do you know what kind of rare bird you are? Do you understand how rare you are? Yeah. Oh. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's a good thing, or but but you know, you you roll with what you what you get, and and we like just recently we had a a, a situation which actually kind of only reminded me how important it is to have them around. We were we we're like I, anytime there's a lender that comes to our house, I, I kind of sit them around the table. I meet them. Kind of this is what the tenants are paying. This is just what we have to pay to the bank because we don't have enough money. So just you know, in a age appropriate manner, kind of make them rehearse their math skills, but also start understanding, uh, start to understand the, the concept of a mortgage and property taxes and all this. And but we also bring them to to the showings because I I want to get the social element to it. You know, when they're meeting with the contractors or when when we have an open house and we have so we have the application form that they they the tenants uh, complete and I give it to the kids to to you know tell me who would you pick like I turn it into a game right so and they and then I challenge them you know and they because they always want to pick the person with the biggest dog right so so, so oh, not so fast but but uh, anyway and and I bring them in because it, it lightens up the the atmosphere right like I, I people see that we're not the heartless landlord that and I tell them that this is you know it's actually for Kai and Nia that will be or if we get hit by the bus but anyway so we went to a showing and um, we saw this this couple fantastic you know people they 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 checked all the all the all the boxes you know they removed their shoes when they entered they were very personable they asked a lot of maintenance questions they they were very well, well, you know, soft-spoken. Really presented really well, and we checked their, you know, credit and everything. We were ready to go. I was literally about to draft the lease, and then, um, then I, um, then I, I just bad habit. I googled, you know, the gentleman's name, and this this article came up that you know he was involved in the hit and run. He escaped, and then K9 unit went looking for him. A criminal record and. Oh boy, and and I was like, holy smokes! Like, but I, I tell you, like, I deal with people on a daily basis, and and uh, like, you establish a gut feel for somebody, and that gut feel was telling me like, these are good people, like they're. So anyway, so I, I turned it into a dinner conversation. I said like, what are we gonna do? And the kids were saying, well, I, I don't know, and and you know, on the one hand, massive red flag. On the other hand, like you know, your gut feel. So I said, you know what? Well, let's call him. Let's let's call him and see what what happens. And I said, put him on speaker. And the kids, were, please don't tell him that, that we're here. <laughs> so anyway, so we we called him and I said, like, you know, Mr. So and So, I we we really like you as a, as a prospect. But I found this article. What what do you have to say? And says Peter, uh, I'm very sorry, but it it was me. It was a it was a bad decision. Jeez. Oh, and uh, I'm actually we had an argument, my wife and I, that I didn't disclose. But I, I, I really like the property, and I didn't want you to disqualify us because of this. And uh, I can tell you there is not a day in my life that I don't regret the, the poor decision oh, that I geez. made. And, and I get you know discriminated against when I look for a job or when I look for houses, you can tell. So anyway, so we took that in, and, and, and I, I said, um, I, again, we had our little council, and I said, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to teach our kids you know, how to be generous and how to be forgiving and Here's our opportunity to really put our put our money where our mouth is. So let's let's give it a try. What, what, what do we have to lose? It's it's an apartment, you know, a few bedrooms. So anyway, so we, and we told him as much. Say we, we trust you. We trust your integrity. We we want to give you a second chance. I told him about our kids that we want to kind of and uh, guys, they have become the best tenants we have ever had. Awesome. What they, a great story! They have, they have been. They, they, they check with us before they change a the light bulb. They, they have, you know, they maintain the property. They, they look for ways of saving. And they Very keep an cool. eye on other tenants. And, and to me, that w- and the reason why I'm saying that is, is that it just it reminded me how important it is to have the kids around because you know we are learning ourselves and they're learning with us as as this as life happens, right? And so, so kind of seeing them you know, respond to this. This will be a, you know, they will remember it for life, right? Because it was, it was such Peter, you have set your own story and, you know, growing up and getting educated and coming to Canada and then going to Hungary, then coming back here and then working here and then buying properties here and now helping out families here. I mean, what a crazy, amazing story. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you 
for sharing this. And listen, we we have to wrap up. I want to ask how people can reach out to you or what. Um, but next time you're on, I want to talk to you also about some of the immigration stuff that you did your PhD on. Mm-hmm. Because in Canada, we get a lot of educated immigrants in here. And I know you studied how we can maybe, <coughs> is it better kind of leverage some of the immigra- immigrants or why? Well, it's, it's just a, avoid wasting human capital yeah. avoid people you know who comes in with a, driving cabs yeah in Montreal someone coming in with a doctor or so, as a doctorate or something mm-hmm. and uh, and let, making better use of that okay um how can people reach out to you what's the best um, way it, uh, i think the best way is probably my uh, my gmail account uh i'm I mean, there, there are different ways, I, which I think Streth Allen can help people if, if, if the yeah, so acid if someone's is... Listening, so what is, it, what is it that you can help people with? Outline it. Well, if, if, if people have existing assets, our company offers property management services for commercial assets. So if somebody has a strip mall in Hamilton right now or something, right. they could reach out to Strath Allen. You'll step in and see what you can do to, right. to bring the property to a higher level. I, I, I personally can help people with uh, if, if they want to you know, set up a, a leasing strategy or asset management strategy, how to optimize uh, their, like how to increase value in their, in their asset. I can, I'm certainly happy to, to chime in. Um, um, I always look for JV partners as well in the residential stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if you just want to have a second opinion and run something by me, I'm happy to do that. Okay, well. that's very kind. So you're going to share your Gmail account. So remember, we don't know who's listening to this podcast, so <laughs> you have to screen people who might reach out to you. It's not like we know everyone who's listening to this. But, okay, uh, what, what, what's the best email address to reach uh, out to you? P as in Peter, P. Kafka. Uh, Kafka is my last name, K-A-F-K-A, 75 at gmail.com. So P. Kafka, P-K-A-F-K-A. 75 at gmail.com. at gmail.com. Peter, we're going to do this more uh, again. I have more to, to, to talk to you about, but thank you for sharing all this. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah, so happy we crossed and, paths. And, and thank you. Guys. The main reason why I wanted to come out was to thank you guys for putting this together because this is uh, this real estate is one of the few avenues that is left for uh, you know middle class people and working class people to gain financial independence. So kudos to you for uh, spreading the word. And, Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradz, and this is my third time trying to do this little ending of this podcast, so I'm going to make it quick. Peter is a great guy. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. We put together a report. It's on nomoremiddle.com is where you can get the report, www.nomoremiddle.com, and you can see income levels mapped against property prices there. I just cannot speak today. And uh, what you will see in that report is absolutely shocking. So you can get your own copy of that at www.nomoremiddle.com. Thanks to Peter for doing that. We're going to have him on again to talk more about immigration and the use of human capital in this country and how we might be underutilizing all the great people who end up coming here. So I'm fascinated with that topic. Definitely want to have him on again to talk about that. But that's for another time. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>